This is episode 127, Velopharyngeal Insufficiency, featuring Allison Force. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. This is episode 127, and I'm recording on June 27th, so clearly I'm into number 27 today. But I can't believe it's been this long. Looking back, we've had the podcast for over two years and so much has changed in this in these two years. So let me think. Deb has moved about like 1,400 times. No, she's moved at least like three times. She got married and has a baby. I'm engaged now and I remember starting this podcast single and ready to mingle. So you know, some changes for us. And I think, uh, you know, good things. We got to go to Asha twice and have our table and meet so many of our listeners. That was definitely a highlight. We had a private live show. That was a lot of fun. We got to meet more listeners there. And uh, yeah, we did. We hosted an online SLP party with I remember the speech dude, and we also hosted at CISHA, South Carolina Speech Hearing Association, so definitely some fun times, and uh, looking forward to more fun times. So for this episode, we have an interview. Again, Allison Fors is back on the show, so Allison and Deb, she's still on the show, she pre-recorded all these really great interviews, and they're going to talk about velopharyngeal insufficiency, or for short, VPI. And that is when there is difficulty with the soft palate and it's unable to fully close by coming up. And that's when someone will have nasal emissions, meaning the air is coming out of their nose. And you'll tell that they might sound hypernasal, like really, really like this. Hypernasality is when there's too much air or it could be hyponasal, maybe because there's too not enough air coming out of the nose, depending on where the velopharyngeal insufficiency is. Is it that the soft palate is not closing fully? Is it remaining open too much? It really depends. So that's just the overall term. I'm so proud of myself right now. I didn't, you know, just off the dome saying this um, definition. But of course, if I want to ask Google... Google will say VPI is when the soft palate does not close tightly against the back of the throat, leading to air coming out the nose, characterized by hypernasality and or nasal emission during speech. This can cause speech that is difficult to understand. All right. So, but there is hypo too, but pretty much the vocal folds vibrate, right? The sound travels up through the pharynx, or I like to just say like up right and then the sound will resonate through the vocal tract and of course we have that uh the soft palate that will move and allow certain sounds to come out the nose like m n and ing like in swimming so anyway they're going to talk a little bit more in depth but that's the background knowledge about vpi and we should as slps when we're doing an oral motor mechanism examination when you're checking the oral structures you want to look and make sure that that soft palate is moving so you could have your client 
first of all, have them open their mouth, say, ah, have them do different things with their lips and tongues, pucker, retract, raise the tongue, lift the tongue, check for a tongue tie, everyone. Don't let that one uh, slip under your, under your care and have them produce a k k k sound. And if you see that the velum is move, the tongue moves, then that is a good indicator, but also see what's going on with their soft palate. You could ask them to cough. If you want to further examine it, I've attached in the show notes this uh, VPI screener. So there are different things to look at. The articulation of nasalized consonants, any nasal emissions, the voice quality. Is it normal or is it breathy? And then there's something called a nasal flutter test. Ask client to say an extended he sound. Rapidly hold and release naris, the naris, which is aka nose nostrils. A change in sound quality or a flutter indicates hypernasality. And then you repeat it with whoo to confirm. So and then they have a whole bunch of words here to notice if there's a change in tone. There's our high oral pressure words and saying them like bat, bit, bait, boat. So Anyway, if you want to learn more about this, this is quite interesting. Check out the show notes. I've included this very nice and thorough VPI screener right here in the show notes. So for now, I'm going to quit it while I'm ahead. You know, I'm giving everyone some uh, nice screeners here. And I think that's all I really have to report on. Reflecting back on episode 127 is making me realize how fast time goes. It's already, we're at the end of the school year. School's is, school is out. I'll be working summer school. So I won't feel very summery SLP life, but you know, I will be working. So I'll just have to make my sessions all about the beach and, you know, enjoy that. I'll make the best of it like I always do. So without further ado, I'm going to let Allison and Deb take it away. Hi, welcome to another episode of SLP's Wine and Cheese. I'm Deb, and today I am joined by Miss Allison Fors. Hi, Allison. Hi. So we um, are going to talk today about VPI, which is velopharyngeal insufficiency. <laughs> I was like, don't mess that up. People are going to think know. you don't know. <laughs> <I> know. <laughs> Like, how do you say that word? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I'm like, do you say pharyngeal or pharyngeal? I feel like both ways are correct, right? Oh, I say pharyngeal. I, pharyngeal oh. was not even I was like, on okay. my... <laughs> <laughs> but it's a long be. word. So we're just going to say VPI to avoid all yes. of that. VPI. VPI, yeah. like VIP, but not. Um. So... Allison, uh, just under a year ago, probably over a year by the time that this episode airs, um, gave birth to a beautiful baby girl who had a cleft palate. So she has now taken a deep dive into the world of VPI. Can you can you bring us up to speed on that? Yeah, I mean, basically, <laughs> I feel like knowing all that cleft stuff, like resonance voice like that type of stuff you kind of have like a superficial knowledge oh yeah of it so I've definitely been kind of like crazy mom reading up on everything mostly I mean it's also interesting to me yeah but then you know like with my daughter 
I want to know all the things as well. And I'm also in these mom Facebook groups where everything gets brought up. Like, oh, my kid has to have this other surgery, this like P flap. Like, what is this? They start saying like BPD or like BPI. Like, what is that? And so you see it. So that would be dysfunction with the D? Yeah, dysfunction. That's more of like an umbrella, like generic term for like all resident disorders. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So Anyways, I've done this like, and I feel like as a speech pathologist, what you learn in school is like, you hear VPI and you're like, Oh, I'm not allowed to do anything because Mm -hmm. there's nothing that I can do. That's going to help this child without any type of intervention or surgery. So what's your feedback there? Yeah. So that is this question I've been getting from some people. Like, how do I know if it's VPI and when do I refer? Mm-hmm. because that is the big, as a, as an SLP, it's your job to determine is it BPI or like a different speech disorder. Right. Um, so that's, that is like the part of like the confusing thing for people. So yeah, like you said, if you think it's BPI, you need to refer that out. Like that kid should not be in speech therapy. There's an anatomical, whatever happening, right? Uh, like all the speech therapy in the world is not going to fix that. Right. But in terms but then- of like, wouldn't they like, wouldn't they be beneficial to expose them to auditorily and visually and to sounds and. Um, yeah. Except with, if they have VPI, they're not going to be able to do it accurately. Right. They're not going to. They're do, not going to no. be able to, which is probably just going to frustrate them. Mm-hmm. But once they have their surgery, like once yeah. they go to ENT and get scoped and like, oh yes, something's actually happening here. Like the VLIB isn't closing off, get them into surgery. Then they will probably need uh, speech because mm-hmm. just to learn, like there might be compensatory errors that have been occurring. Like they kind of need to relearn that motor planning. Right. Um, so they should after surgery come to speech therapy. Okay. Where are they at now that like, you know, this has been fixed and to help them. Um, but in terms of like, let's say you get a kid on your caseload prepared cleft palate. They sound nasally. Like what is going on with this kid? What do I do? Is there VPI? Is there not? Right. You need to, you need to be running an Arctic test. Cause like we said, like compensatory errors are happening and some, and common- a compensatory error is something that just for anybody who might not know if they're listening, that's something that they, they did to like make up for the deficit while they were trying to speak and didn't have surgery yet. So like they just figured mm-hmm. out a way to make a sound that was a struggle yeah. for them. So they're not using the correct residence or placement or voicing mm-hmm. um, because they found some sort of trick to get that job done. Right. So like a lot of times how that's uh, like demonstrating itself with mm-hmm. a, with BPI is glottal stops or um, pharyngeal stops, pharyngeal fricatives. So if like those things are happening, Odds are it's a compensatory error. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you give examples of those? I can't do that off the top of my head. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, the glottal stops are, you know, like when you think of like, uh, like what are some examples? Like the butter, like the kind of like back here. Like uh-huh. I can't see, but like, in, like in their throat. And like, I hear my daughter do that sometimes too. Really? Because, okay. Yeah. She does like some of these grunts and growls and an occasional like glottal. It's not more as common, but like I kind of hear her in the back um, stopping the air. Okay. She can't make any, like those common sounds you hear in babies babbling, like the G's and stuff. like, she can't do that. Right. Yeah. So, uh, sometimes I hear that, but 
Um, the other examples, pharyngeal stops, fricatives. So again, like they can't make the K and G, so they're substituting for like the F, S, right. things like that, like sounds that they can make. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, running an articulation test, seeing where the errors are aligned, like listening for those compensatory errors and if that's occurring or if it's not. And then also testing, like doing an informal assessment or screener for resonance in general, mm -hmm. which some people are like, well, what do I do for that? And yeah, honestly, honestly just go, go get a screener off the internet. Okay. <laughs> because, yeah. like, this is like your thing. Yeah. I would just go get a screener and run through it. I know that uh, Christy Knickerbocker has one in her TPT store. That's pretty thorough. Okay. I also know that there's a website called leaders project and it's amazing. It has so much cleft palette info mm -hmm. and they have a screener on there. It's not as thorough, but it's a good, like, it's good just to have on hand anyways. Right. I think Asha has like a speech sampling thing as well. So I, okay. I actually have this, um, page on my website where I have those links. It's like a cleft lip palette, like all information, Okay, so, good. Yeah. So go to Allison's website. Is it allisonfors.com? Yeah, it's allisonfors.com. And then it's forward slash, I think it's cleft lip and palette. Mm -hmm. So you'll find the screeners linked in there. Um, so yeah, get a screener. <laughs> yeah. Like run through it. It's going to have you do different, like having them prolong vowels and seeing what's happening. If there's any nasal air emission, like if you hear it nasally or not, it's going to have you run through doing things like pa pa pa. Um, like those, like those repetitions mm -hmm. counting to see, yeah, you're basically listening for if they're nasally or not, if there's any okay. nasal air emission happening, hypernasality, there's other resonance disorders, but those are the ones that come up with, uh, cleft. Okay. You know, as opposed to like hyponasality or the colosac resonance. Right. Stuff. So you're listening for hypernasality are you also listening for like insufficient in, inefficiency like unable to build up pressure and maintain airflow to produce these like yeah. sequential tasks so especially with hypernasality mm -hmm. those voice constants are going to sound weak like muffled okay because they're part of that air is coming out of the nose so mm -hmm. they're not going to sound as strong like you think about um like p like that plosive like it's not going to it's going to sound weak. Mm -hmm. um, and nasal air emission is going to sound um, almost like too loud. It's going to, so, okay, let's back up a second. So in kind of assessing this to be able to hear the differences in those resonance and like the loudness or the weakness of it, some people use straws or other devices right. mm -hmm. to be able to amplify that sound coming out of the nasal cavity or the oral cavity so they can hear better. Mm -hmm. um, so I know some people use straws, like that's kind of the, you know, you have straws on hand. There are like more expensive, like versions of like straws, better options. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Like I, like I know Super Duper has one. It looks like a stethoscope for mm -hmm. you and a stethoscope for the kid. And it's okay. attached by a tube. So the stethoscopes are attached together. Okay. And there's a branching tube and that's for the child to either, you know, have at the nasal cavity, oral cavity, so you can hear better. And well, so what makes that one cool is both the child and you can listen at the same time. 
Okay. To the same sound. To the same sound. Otherwise, like there's okay. other devices out there where only the kid can hear or like, you know. What an intricate device that I'm visual. I'm trying because right. I don't have the it visual. super <laughs> weird. It's like two stethoscopes connected with this like branching off tube. Right. But yeah, that's what can kind of help you in determining. Mm-hmm. Um, like in hearing that better, I guess. Okay. So you, happening. so you did all these little assessments and you're determined that this child can build up enough pressure and they are hypernasaled. I need to refer out. Yes. Yeah. So if you've kind of, I mean, basically it comes down to, is it the compensatory error where we're doing articulation therapy or is mm-hmm. it a structural thing with the VPI and we need to send them off to ENT? Right. Um, So I've had two experiences and I don't expect you to have this answer um, just this year where, so my first one was I have a CF who had a kid with a lot of different speech sound um, distortions and errors. Um, And then, and she referred, she said that she thinks that they should get um, seen by an ENT. The ENT wrote in the report that um, maybe speech, like diagnosed VPI and then said speech therapy may be able to prevent surgery. And I've never seen this or heard this ever. And I think that's quite odd. That sounds odd to me. Yes, I think I so don't... too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the speech therapy can't elongate the VLO. <laughs> no, no. So it's like, did you really diagnose that? Or like, or are you just so unaware of what speech therapy can do? Or like, because I read the report uh, and right. it, it said these things. I was quite surprised. Um, so then my advice in that ex- um, example was to refer out again to somebody <laughs> like let's try a different ENT yes. somebody else because I don't know about that um and then my next one so I have a child who who just really struggles in terms of like oral motor just struggling to um copy any lingual movements I finally got him to elevate his tongue and I see tongue tie and it's not the worst tongue tie I've ever seen but I see it there so then I, I ref, tell them, tell the parent, refer to ENT and the ENT says that they think it's psychosomatic and that there's no structural issue, but I'm like, but the tongue is still not coming up. So are you sure? So again, um, my experience is to refer again, cause I'm just not in agreement or, or sure. Do you, I mean, you're working with a whole cleft palate and like craniofacial team. So you're working with people who really are knowing what they're talking about. ENTs yeah. do a lot I mean, of stuff. Fortunately, like with your kid as a cleft, then you're on the craniofacial team. Yeah. All of those, you know, like the orthodontist and the dentist, uh, ENT yeah. and like all the speech therapists, like all these people are knowledgeable in that realm. Yeah. So ideally, like, it's not hard to get appointments. That's not hard to get a diagnosis. That's not hard to get like the procedures you need done. Yeah. Ideally, right? Because like, if this was happening with my daughter, I'd be like calling up like the craniofacial coordinator. Like, I've done this already. Like, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, hey, we need to talk, and I get an appointment right away. And like the surgeons, like they're awesome. Like. And that's, what's cool is you see these people over and over again throughout the years, right? You know them, they know you, they know your kid, like, and they monitor. So after the, the surgery, they monitor the progress to ensure that Mm -hmm. speech has gone to from like to 
achieve typical. Yes. Because that is the goal. That's the goal. I believe, um, I believe the craniofacial SLP said our first visit with her post cleft repair is four months after. Okay. Where she can just kind of like assess, we see where she's at, Mm -hmm. um, what's going on. Right. So there are definite like time, it's like a timeline of when appointments occur for various people on the team. Right. Because I had one child with a repaired cleft palate. So I hadn't seen them until I was their second therapist. So I hadn't seen them until a year after they had been repaired. And um, the issue there then is that if the, if the speech is not achieved typical by then, then they have to start talking about what is the problem. Do they need a palate expander or is the, do they need to go back in and do surgery again? So that's why it's essential that the speech therapy that you're conducting is, you know, is having improved speech. So the, apparently the therapist prior to me was doing like a lot of whistles and like oral motor stuff that was not like (laughs) evidence-based. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so that was not helping. And that was like detrimental to this child, not just like in terms of speech sound production, but also like, you know, them determining if he was going to need to get another procedure, which is pretty major. Um, so in, in all of the things I said, I think it's super important to choose who you're referring out to. So I, I don't have a person. This is, this is advice that I'm just coming off the top of my head. Cause like when I have gone to parents and I have just said, I think this child needs to see an ENT. I don't have an ENT in my pocket to be like, Mm -hmm. check out this person. Um, And then they often go to their own. And it's been like two or three times now where the ENT has come back, said like, oh no, they're fine. Where I don't think that they are. And then you're working with a whole team of people who are constantly confronted with um, VPI and all of these craniofacial um, issues. So, so they're going to be more knowledgeable. So it's quite important to, I don't know, uh, not just take any opinion that, or any result that you hear. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because if it, if those kids were cleft affected, you'd think that it would be the, uh, craniofacial ENT who they're seeing. I mean, you'd hope, right. Right. But I, I honestly don't, I don't know. I know. But yeah, you, so you made a good point that I want to come back around to yeah. oral motor exercises. Like, no, no, <laughs> don't do those. You're just going to waste your time. Like that's not, yeah. And I feel like he, I mean, I think it's getting like more out there, like the words getting more out there, but that just does not, you're just wasting time and like yeah. a kid and all of that stuff. But another thing to do when you're like looking at these kids and you're screening them and figuring out what's going on you really need to do that um like oral exam like you were talking about right looking like you have to be looking in their mouth looking at um their palate right so looking at their palate for fistulas which is holes so I think it's like it's kind of a high I don't remember the percentage but it's kind of high how many fistulas occur after cleft repair oh okay. so there's a hole in the palate like obviously there's going to be a resonance issue they need to go to ENT right um looking for a submucous cleft 
right sometimes that can take a while to get diagnosed and, and that's that, that's hard to see because it's that's yeah. like a hole that's covered by tissue so it's not mm-hmm. something that you're yeah. able to yeah and that's why it can take a while so it's like yeah the soft palate isn't there but there's tissue so the palate looks intact but really there's you know there's a soft palate uh and so how you can screen for that is have the kid open their mouth stick their tongue out and like say ah and if the palate goes up into a tent shape that's mm-hmm. a good indication or if their palate looks bluish in color like thinnish bluish that's a good indication and sometimes the uvula is different like it's square or bifid okay that's also an indication of a sudden interesting disrupt. yeah so i haven't known those um i saw something i think it was on the informed slp tiktok if i'm not mistaken um and somebody said that if the child could stick out their tongue and then blow air in their cheeks then that's indicative of a good seal. And if they can't, then there could be a fistula or submucosa. Okay. I think I saw that too. And there's, okay. this is like ringing a bell for me. All right. Okay. Yes. I mean, that, I guess that is a good test. Like yeah, I, yeah, I hadn't sense. thought of that. Yeah. That they can, cause then that if there is a seal happening there where they can blow up their cheeks like a balloon and it's, right. there's not air leaking. Yeah. Somewhere. And you just look like a freak to coordination. <laughs> um, and then going back, so the oral facial exam, Amy Graham has a great one. So that was good. Um, and then also I have my handy dandy throat scope here. Oh, yes. Which I use on myself all the time because I'm strictly virtual now that I am oh. <laughs> 35 weeks pregnant um, today. I'll be 36 soon. But um this is going to be dated. So I probably have a baby by the time you guys are listening. I hope the future is going well, people (laughs) of the future. (laughs) I hope you're washing your hands and getting vaccinated. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think that um, just like our last episode, while we're, while we're um, wrapping up this topic, I know we want to talk a little bit about treating hypernasality, right? Is that what we want Oh, targeting hypernasality. I mean, if if we have time. um, Yeah. So we'll, we'll do. So first let's talk about, so what you can get, because what we can get to, to help us be better. So you said, go to your website because you have links to residents tests or screeners. Yeah. Like screeners, things to go through to help you determine if there's a residence issue happening and what that residence issue is. And then also, um, and then checking out Christy Knickerbocker, her store, she's Christy voice on Instagram and she's got, um, resources. And then also Amy Graham's, um, oral facial exam and a throat scope. And Allison said, I think straw, I've used straws a ton in speech. Mm -hmm. Um, and there could be more expensive straws, but maybe a straw is good. Yeah. I'd say try the straw. (laughs) And then if you need something else, go get it. But mm-hmm. yeah. And that leadersproject.com website's awesome. Oh, yes. So like put like bookmark that for your little cleft, you know, in the future, if you get a kid, that's a good website to have access to. So then now we know we have a kid with hypernasality and mm-hmm. um, it's not just, it's not VPI in the sense where we can't target it. What can we do to work on the hypernasality? Yeah. So this hypermanasality 
they can have the closure, their velum is long enough, but for some reason the air is still leaking through, um, mostly just because they have, maybe because they haven't had to make that oral like movement before. Right. Um, so or maybe yeah, sensorily, kids, like maybe they just, yeah, like, I don't know, they like, yeah, they like I, it there. Like, I do think some kids, even after their, you know, VPI repair, they need to come to speech therapy just to learn the difference. Cause with hypernasality, it really comes down to ear training them to where they can understand the difference between like oral air and nasal air. Right. Where's this air coming from? So this, um, like what we're talking about, the straw. Yeah. I think that's important too. Like just oral facial nasal proprioception. Yes. Them understanding the difference. Yeah. What are you even talking about lady? Like what, (laughs) like why? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's really what the therapy is. Yes. Differentiating that and having them able to Mm self-monitor and distinguish. Um, So with the straw, what you're going to do is have them like a sound that they can do great where it's not nasalized, you know, like mm-hmm. an S or something, have them use their straw, put, um, you know, like in their mouth to the ear, make their S like you hear that, right? Like, yes, that's a strong S sound. You hear that it's coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. Now put it to your nose and your ear. Okay. Did you hear anything come out? Like, no, there's no air coming out of your nose. So mm-hmm. that's like the S is a mouth sound and going through like all the stuff and then doing that again with a nasal, right? Um, so like an M or something, mm-hmm. you know, do the nose and the mouth. Okay. I hear that through the nose. So that's a nasal sound. And then talking about, I mean, however, like whatever terminology you want to use, like the oral sound, nasal sound, or like mouth sound, no sound. Mm-hmm. Um, which ones are which basically nose is just M N and the N sounds right. I N G. So really like laying that out for them. These are the nose sounds. These are the mouth sounds and having them practice that and being able to self-regulate. Um, right. And also, Oh, like sequencing, I wrote this down so I'd remember it. Like sequencing the ah, uh, like a vowel with the, a nasal mm-hmm. and having them practice going between like go ah, mm, ah, mm, and practice okay. going from like a, like a, you know, a mouth sound to a nose. Oral nasal, oral nasal. Mm-hmm. Right. Like having them go back and forth so they can feel that difference um, is it is like a next step. Okay. So that's like targeting hypernasality, like a quick run through of that. Yeah. I know there's more tricks to helping kids. I would do things with like touching the nose. Like you don't want to occlude the nose because you want the sound to come there. But I'd be like, look, I don't feel anything. But now I feel that buzz. So like, so, but then you still first have to do what you were saying, which would be identifying the sounds that should have a buzz and the ones Mm -hmm. that should not so that they can discriminate between the two. Yeah. Um, but yeah, some other tricks that I know some people use is either trying like changing the pitch or changing the volume or how open the mouth is when you're making those sounds. Cause that can kind of, I don't know, I guess I like, can sometimes help kids. I've, I've never personally done this, but in my reading, mm-hmm. some people have done that to help with like, it can affect how hypernasal the kid is like how nasally the sounds are coming out. Right. Like changing the frequency, like mm-hmm. the size of your instrument or your oral cavity. Right. Got right. it. Yeah. But it's, you're basically teaching new motor patterns. That's what's yeah. happening. And like bringing awareness to 
um, like the airflow, like where right. it was coming from. And I feel like I lesson too might be good for like those older kids. Yeah, for sure. Anatomy. I feel like I do this for my Arctic kids, especially the R kids. Um, We spend so much time on just understanding like what your what's what's in your mouth and what's supposed to be happening in your mouth. Like it's it's when you do yoga and the yoga teachers like put your back flat and your legs straight behind you. And you're like, it is. And then you look in the mirror and you're like off to the side crooked. It's like, true. don't know. <laughs> it's I like, need a mirror. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So like, I'm telling the kid to lift up their tongue and they're like, I am, but they're not. Cause they mm-hmm. don't know what it means or feels like, feels like to lift their tongue up. And then I'm like, not only are we lifting up our tongue, we're lifting up our tongue body. So the back of the tongue, the part of the tongue, you can't even see. <laughs> that's what's got to go up now squeeze it because we need tension um so just understanding like and and don't and not to confuse these things with oral motor exercises because it's not that's different yeah it's totally different but you're increasing sensory awareness and proprioception Mm -hmm. so that you can use these things you're not you're not like doing it in a means i'm not like having a kid lift up their tongue with the intention of increasing strength getting it yeah it's no. just awareness. Awareness. Mm-hmm. Like lift it up. That's up. <laughs> this is up again. That's not up. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So this has been super eye-opening. Be sure just to sum up that if you are working with a child and you suspect VPI because they have some hypernasality or some weakness and some consonants or whatever the case that you do your research and you refer out. And um, you make the parent at least well aware that it's important to choose a provider who has experience in this area because they might give bad recommendations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a bit of a specialty, a bit of a. For sure. Then you can also get like over special, like, cause like, I feel like if you go to a cardiologist, they're going to be like, look, the heart, it's the problem. Or you go to a neurologist, they're going to be like the brain, <laughs> that's what's happening. Um, and if you go to like a dentist that always that's known for tongue tie, they're just going to snip everybody. So it, it's hard. I, you have to do your research and trust yourself and, and also advocate for your client. Mm-hmm. It's tricky. I mean, fortunately scoping someone like that's pretty like whether VPI, like whether there's like a leak or not is pretty apparent, you know? Right. So you can advocate to that. You can tell the parent, like, you know, scope is a good way to know. So if they didn't scope, then they might not have the the best information possible. And if an auntie is not scoping when they go in for that, that's kind of a red flag. (laughs) Yeah. My my first VPI kid, I was like, there's no way this kid doesn't have a submucosal cleft. And then the um, ENT wrote, said that they were fine. He didn't scope them because he said that there's no way that he was going to be able to be compliant and get it done. So I was like, I don't know what he based that assessment on. Then I Googled him and I was like, this ENT is too hot. So I think that he was just too attractive to be an ENT. And he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And I'm not trying to discriminate against hot people. I'm just saying that's what popped into my head and I am just a human. 
<laughs> and on that note, <laughs> any final words, Allison? Oh, um, I mean, just do your homework because there's lots of research out there. So I feel like sometimes you get that kid on your caseload and you're like, wait a second. And you're racking your brain. So research it is. Google it is. Yeah. Research, research. Good resources, resources out there. Right. And then, you know, refer again if you think you don't agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me. All right. Thank you. And that's our show, everyone. Hope you are enjoying our show, our podcast. Check us out on iTunes. Leave us a rate and review. And if you want extra content, check us out on Patreon and our boom cards. Bye.